Hello. My name's Dave. Hello. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks. We were in San Diego last week. My wife and I were in San Diego for a conference, and uh, it was a youth conference. It's not for high school kids. It's actually for people that work with high school kids. And it's, it's really funny because um, cause whenever you go to a conference like that, the, it's funny because whenever you're, the people on the stage will, will say things like, I know that some of you have it really difficult out there, and some of you as youth pastors just have a really tough time in youth ministry. And I'm kind of sitting there going like, I, I don't really feel that way. Um, I feel like I love my job, you know, and, uh, and so it just felt really cool. I guess encouraging. I, I know that, I mean, um, every church can struggle in certain ways, and we have our struggles as well. I, what I'm saying to you, though, is that um, I love what I do, and whenever I'm not able to be up here and just talk with you guys, I miss it. So it's been two weeks. We've missed it for the last two weeks. Uh, but it just reminded me of just how much I love working with you guys. Um, because you hear so often at conferences like that, people that just say, I want to quit, I want to leave my job, and stuff like that. I'm going, I, the more I do this, the more I love it. So um, whatever that means, it, it means a lot to me to be here. So I really appreciate uh, you guys and, and being a part of this group. Um, turn your Bibles to chap- Luke chapter 15. And we've been in this for a couple of weeks. You might know the story as the prodigal son. We've called it the, the two sons. It's really about two sons, not just one. And you might ask yourself the question, why are we doing this like for the third time in three weeks? Uh, but we're looking at different facets of this story. We're going to stay in the story for about the next month or so. And yes, we're going to talk about the same story for seven weeks. The purpose being this story is all about the gospel. And um, if there's anything that you cannot get wrong, it is the gospel. Because if you get the gospel wrong, everything else will be messed up in your life. So we are focusing on this story to make sure we, we pound this into your head. Uh, a guy named Martin Luther said a long time ago that the gospel is so important that you have to beat it into people's heads continuously. And so this is what I'm doing with this passage uh, with you guys. So in Luke chapter 15, um, Jesus tells a story about a father and two sons. And the audience he's speaking into is really significant because he's talking to um, the Pharisees who are the self-righteous, the legalistic people, the rule followers. There's that crowd, and there's also the sinner's crowd. Now, everyone's a sinner. We know everyone's a sinner, but... These were the obvious sinners. These are the ones that wore sin on their sleeves. Um, these are the ones that everyone knew, oh, that guy, he's a sinner. That girl, she's a, a sinner. Um, really obvious sinners. So Jesus was spending time with the sinners, and that made the Pharisees upset, and they're judging the sinners, and they're also judging Jesus for spending time with the sinners. And so in that context is when Jesus tells this story. Now, in the story, there's an older son and a younger son. The older son is the rule keeper of the family. He is up at dawn. He is, goes to bed late. He does all of his chores. He does everything the father asks him to do. Um, this is a parable, so it's a fictional story, but there's truth in the story. And so the older son is the rule keeper of the family. He is um, the teacher's pet. He's that kind of guy. Uh, there's also the younger son in the story, and he is the rule breaker of the family. Everyone knows that most families have sort of the, the rule follower and the rule breaker. What tends to happen in families 
is that if the older son or daughter is the rule follower, the younger child in the family will often take on the role of the rule breaker just to be different from the rule follower, right? Like if they do this, you're going to do the the exact opposite, whatever that looks like, and it usually ends up being you're going to break the rules. If they follow the rules, you're going to break those very same rules just to be different. And so in this story, the younger son goes to the father, and he asks the father for his inheritance. Now, the father's not dead, obviously, so normally inheritance would be passed down to the, to the, uh, the sons when the father dies. So this son asking for inheritance is basically like asking, saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. So the father does the unthinkable. The father gives him his inheritance. The son goes off to a faraway city in a faraway country, and he wastes the inheritance. He returns home. The father welcomes him back in, and he welcomes him back by throwing him this massive party. And at this point, the older son gets really angry because he's thinking to himself, I have followed all the rules my father has laid out for me, and I've never gotten even the smallest party. My younger brother goes off and squanders wealth, comes home, and gets everything given to him again. He's already had a lot given to him already. Now he gets everything given to him in the form of a party. And so the older son gets angry. He stands outside this party and he pouts. He has his own pity party outside the real party. Now, the story ends with the father inviting the, son, the older son into the party. He is saying, everything I've always, that I've had is yours. Come into the party. He invites his older son into the party. And at this point, we're left hanging because we don't know. Jesus never tells us the end of the story. And the reason for that is because he's really putting this question to the Pharisees. He's saying, okay, there's a party going on, and it's called the kingdom of God, and will you join us in this party? And so he leaves the story hanging because he means to do it that way so he can let the Pharisees wrestle with that question. Will you join the party? Because you guys are like the older son. You guys are just like that. And so it's true that we know in life, There are two kinds of people, typically. There are the rule keepers and the rule breakers. And everyone fits into one of those two categories. Now, I know there are spells of life that you go through. You're like, well, at this point in my life, I was more like a rule keeper. At this stage of life, I was more like a rule follower or a rule breaker. And so everyone falls into usually one of those two categories. um, And your personality tends to lean in one direction or the other. And so today we're going to focus only on the older son, the rule keeper. And what I'm going to do this morning is share just a bit of my story because this is my story. I am basically a version of the older son. And so as we discuss Luke 15, I'm going to tell you just uh, pieces of my testimony and how God helped me realize the, the wickedness in my own heart, the depravity in my own heart. And, and set me free by his grace. So look at chapter 15. We're going to skip down to verse 25. And uh, the setup is that the younger son has already returned home at this point, And the father throws him this huge party. And so verses 25 to 32 is the older son's reaction to that party. Here in verse 25, read with me. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property and with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's discuss uh, one through three at your tables. Go ahead and discuss for a few minutes. All right, all right, all right, all right. You know, uh, it's kind of funny because when I was out of town last week in San Diego, when I was out of town in San Diego at the conference, um, there was one speaker who did this very thing where they asked some questions to discuss, like, with people next to you out in the crowd. There's like 3,000 people at this conference, so it's really crowded. But they said, hey, we're going to ask you some questions. We want to make this interactive and not just be a sermon. And so... They would ask us questions, and so I'm sitting there talking to a guy next to me, and, um, and then the person, like, at the front interrupts. I'm sitting there going, but we're not, we're not done talking yet, you know? And I'm getting all mad. I'm like, wait, I do the exact same thing every Sunday. So, um, so I got a taste of my own medicine. Just want you to know, all right, uh, that I know what it's like to be you, all right? And uh, when you're up here, five minutes seems like 20. When you're out there, it seems like 30 seconds, Okay. So I apologize, but um, we'll have some more discussion at the end here as well. And the fact that you guys can discuss so much is a good thing, so that's a good place to be. Um, Now, uh, back to the story. We don't hear anything about the older son until verse 25, do we? That's when he comes onto the scene. We don't even know he even exists except for the first part says he has two sons. But we don't hear anything about this guy until verse 25. And this guy's in the background. And this is exactly what happens, I think, in in real life. The bad son gets all the attention, right? And the good son kind of flies under the radar and gets no attention whatsoever until one day he just blows up, right? One day he, like, goes postal and, like, sets the house on fire, right? And, And so what you see, though, what you see, though, is, is that he just explodes. There's all this anger just simmering beneath the surface with the older son. Where, where is the son when we first hear of him? Where is he at? He's in the field doing his work. He's out in the field doing his work. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's following the rules. He's doing his chores. He's doing just what the father wants him to be doing. And then as he approaches the house, he hears what sounds like a party. Now, I would guess that because the, the, the father had not been happy for a long time because he lost his son, the younger son left the house, I would imagine the older son has not seen or experienced a party in some time, right? And so he hears this party, and there's something you have to know about older son type people. They don't like parties, okay? They don't like fun. They don't like people having a good time, okay? If people are having a good time, they're like, well, there must be sinning, right? There must be some sin going on because they're having fun, okay? It's funny because even 
even I experience this when I'm on the stage up here and I'm listening to y'all's discussions. It's like I know when the discussion is over because you're having fun, right? It's like you're all being loud and crazy, and I'm like, yeah, they're not discussing anything I'm talking about up here. They're just they're talking about, like, what movie they saw that week. And, what, and part of me wants to go, like, hey, stop having fun. This is Bible, right? And uh, I'm not really like that, but that's, there's a part of me that feels like, you know, I'm trying to pull you back in and, and ring you back into the discussion. But at the same time, I know that you've got to, like, vent about your week or whatever, and there's a place for that, okay? And so the funny thing about older son types is that most of them don't like fun, don't like parties, don't like other people having fun, right? And so he's mad about the party. He's wondering what in the world's going on. And so a servant shows up and says, well, the reason why they're having this party is because your, your, your younger brother has returned and your father has rolled out the fattened calf. It would stink to be the fatted calf on that day, right? And so he gets out the fatted calf that was fattened just for this an occasion like this. And so the older son is angry. He refuses to join the party. And the father goes out to invite him in anyway, but the older son refuses. And in verse 29, we learn a lot about the older son. In verse 29, it says, he says, look, all these years I've been, what? What does he say? Slaving for you. So this son, he sees the relationship between him and his father, not as a father and son relationship, but as a master-slave relationship. He sees his dad as a master and that he is the slave. He doesn't see himself as a son and that his father is his father. This is, I want you to catch this. This is exactly the way that most older son types of people view Christianity and how they view Jesus. Most people who have the older son mindset view Jesus, God, as a master and that they are the slave. And there's two directions you can go with this because there are some people, the older son types, see that relationship as he's my master, I obey him like a slave. And, and yeah, there's some truth to that, I guess, in Christianity, but if that's all you see God as, you're going to miss out on a really important relational component to your walk with God, and that is he is your father and you are his son. He is your father and you are his daughter. He cares for you in that way, in the way that a father cares for his own child. Now, the younger son types, many of them also see God as this master And if you say you're a Christian, that means you are a slave. And what they do is the exact opposite. They completely rebel and say, you know what, I I want nothing to do with that God because that is not, that's not a fun God. Who wants to follow a God who's like a, a master and makes us like a slave? So both people, older son, younger son, can fall into the trap of seeing God in this way and seeing ourselves as Christians as a slave. And this older son makes that exact same mistake. He sees his father as a master and himself as a slave. That's all he sees his work as, is just fulfilling his role, fulfilling his chores. So how do you know if you are like the older son? How do you know if if that's where your personality leans? Because I'll tell you this morning that if you're someone 
and you're sitting here and you're like, Dave, I've, I've heard this story, the older son, younger son, I'm not really sure which category I fall into for the most part. If, if that's where you're at this morning, I'm going to tell you, you're probably more like the older son. Because the younger son types, the, the rebels of life, they pretty much know they're rebellious, right? I mean, they do certain things and they go, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of a rebel. I just do certain things that kind of go against the grain. Always making my parents angry, right? It's pretty obvious if you're the younger son. But if you're the older son, here's what's interesting. If you're like the older son, your sin is accompanied by blindness, which means that you often can't see your sin because you're self-righteous and prideful and kind of arrogant, right? And, and so if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not really sure which one I fall into, then I'm going to say you're, you're probably like the older son. You just don't really know it yet. So the purpose of this morning is for me to tell you that that's who you are probably, and, um, and we can talk through how to deal with that. So, But there are certain personality characteristics that I'm going to list off for you that would incline someone towards being like the older son. I'm going to list these off for you, okay? So now I'm not saying these things are bad. Some of these things are going to be good. But as I list off these things, think in your mind, is this me? Because there are certain personality characteristics that will indicate if you are more like the older son, okay? So here we go. The first thing is this. Are you ultra-competitive? Are you someone that's ultra, like you have to win? If, if you're playing like the dumbest game, it could be something you invented five seconds ago, but you've got to win, right? If you're ultra-competitive, th- this might sound like uh, Jeff Foxworthy's, you might be a redneck if, like, okay, you might be an older son if you were ultra-competitive, okay? Like, everything is a, is, a, is a competition that you can't stand to lose. If, if you lose, you go cry in a corner for like an hour, okay? Something else. Are you obsessed with getting good grades? Are you obsessed with it? Are you just, are you, you're like, yeah, that's me. Okay, so we're, we're, the first step is admitting it, so that's good. All right, so are you someone that, that is obsessed with good grades? Are you constantly checking your class rank, your GPA, right? Are you someone, are you someone that will study, listen up, are you someone that will study like nine hours for like a 10-question quiz? Okay? If that is you, you might be like the older son, okay? Now, are you someone that are you someone that obeys all the rules? Like if someone if someone gives you rules, you're like, okay, are there any more? Because I like rules. Can I have some more rules? And and so you obey all the rules. Are you someone that um when you are playing a board game at home with friends or whoever else, that you uh that you're like, okay, you know every single rule, like, in, inside and outside. If someone, like, slightly violates a rule, you're like, you're breaking the rule. You're a cheater. Get out of my house, right? Is that you? Do you obey the rules, okay? Now, um, this is someone who always makes curfew. Now, I mentioned that this is not a bad thing. Making curfew is not a bad thing, but do you always make sure you're home on time, okay? Um, here's one for you. All the trophies and the certificates, the awards that you've earned in your life. Do you have a wall at home that you put those on? Do you have a wall? 
Do you, do you call that, you know what that's called? That's called a me wall. It's called a me wall. And it's, and at night when you go to bed, you leave like a little night light on. Listen up. At night when you go to bed, you turn on a little night light, not because you're scared of the dark, but because you just want to see your accomplishments as you go to sleep at night. And you want to look at them and you want to see your trophies glisten in the nightlight, right? And you, you hang your, your medallions around the trophies as if they have been crowned like you were crowned, right? And, and so you, you love your accomplishments. You, you love your awards, right? Um, how about this one? Uh, you're always on time. Like if you're not on time for something, you're just like stressing out. You're like, oh, they're going to hate me. They're going to think I'm the worst person in the world, they're not going to be my friend anymore. You are always on time. Okay, how about this one? How about this one? Neat freak. If you are a neat freak, okay, you cannot stand it if something is messy, right? Like, you're, you're the kind of person that, like, even at your table, you're, like, stacking papers, and putting them in the middle of the table, making sure they're square to the middle of the table. Um, you can't stand mess. You hate mess. Your room is like military standard spotless, okay? You check for dust, right? So this might be you, okay? How about this one? Listen up. Shh. Listen up. I'll just kind of say a, a bunch of random ones here that might be you. Uh, irresponsible. You're dependable. You get up really early just because it's Saturday. Um, you're disciplined. Uh, you eat really healthy. You avoid, you avoid tobacco and alcohol and drugs. Um, how about this one? Listen, you're obsessed with working out. You love to work out, okay? Um, listen up. All right, how about this one? Okay, you're always in church, okay? Like, here's, here's an example. Um, every chance you have, you're in church, which church is good, but there's a way that it can be bad for you if it leads to pride, okay? So you're always in church. In fact, it's funny because um, I'm always careful how I say this to people because I don't want to give them the wrong impression, but I'll just say, hey, um, we miss seeing you at church, or are you, are you doing okay, or whatever. And my intention is just to say, like, just making sure you're not dead, you know? I just want to know how you're doing. But they're like, I'm sorry I wasn't at church. I'm really sorry, but um, there was a soccer game, and then um, uh, I had to go uh, out to eat with my aunt, and then um, we had a, uh, and I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I just want to make sure you weren't dead and that you were still alive and that we just missed you at church. I wasn't saying, like, if you weren't in church, you're, like, you know, a heathen. I'm just saying that we missed you at church, okay? And so, but this kind of person thinks legalistically typically, Okay. Um, okay, someone, some more serious ones, uh, someone who's never, uh, been sexually involved before marriage, never did drugs, never drunk, um, never stolen anything, uh, never cheats on their boyfriend or girlfriend. Okay, these are good things, but here's the, here's the reality. These might be good things, but listen, listen, listen. These might be good things, but they cease to be good if they lead to pride. Okay. These things might be good on the surface, but and they are good on some level, but they cease to be good if they lead to spiritual pride. And so in this story, underneath all of this outward obedience, 
the older son has a heart that is simmering with bitterness and anger. And he just kind of explodes onto the servant. And I mentioned to you before that the older son, this is my story. This is me. And, and I, I want to share part of my story with you today so you can kind of see how Christ is currently changing me and has changed me throughout my life because this is, this is hard, okay? I was really just kind of praying this week that God would let this speak powerfully to you and hopefully let you see, like, if these are the ways that you lean in your life, that it'll convict you of that and you can turn to Christ in a real way. And so I was, I was raised in the church. I was raised in a really conservative household. Um, I, quote, prayed the prayer of you know, salvation, sinner's prayer, whatever word, whatever word you want to use, at four years old, right? And I felt like I knew what I was doing at that age. I felt like I knew I was committing my life to Christ. And so as I'm, you know, growing in my faith, even as like a little kid, I was a legalistic kid going like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's right, that's right, that's wrong. I was that kid. I went to Christian school from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, okay? Yes, I was one of those kids, all right? And um, I got good grades. I was focused on grades. I followed the rules. Um, I worked hard. I was the kind of person where I was like, I may not be smarter than everybody else, but I'm going to outwork everybody else, okay? Both of my brothers are intellectually smarter than me. Okay, by far. One of them is a self-taught software engineer. Okay, he designs software and he read it from a book. Like he has a job, pays like six figures because he learned it on his own. Okay, my other brother is a medical doctor and I am a youth pastor. Do the math. Do the math. But here's the thing, though, is I got better grades than both of them. You know why? Because I outworked them. All right? But you know what? They're both way smarter than me. Okay? So I tried to compensate for my lack of intelligence by just outworking everybody else. So what it would lead to is if I accomplished something, I thought, I did that. That was me. That was me that did that. And so I mentioned the whole me wall thing because that was me. My my parents would say, hey, you got that award for whatever. Put it on your wall. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And so I had this wall. I'm like thinking back going, how arrogant and prideful was that? Like, I'm sure my friends, if they came over, they're like, man, you're, like, full of yourself, dude. What is wrong with you? Like, I'm actually embarrassed to think back on just how I was as a kid. And so I was active in my youth group. I went on mission trips. Um, I avoided certain kinds of movies and TV programming and whatnot. And just, I followed the rules. Now, when I got to college, this is when Christ began to change me. I'll tell you some stories that where, where Christ convicted me and changed me through it. When I got to college, I moved to Texas when I was age 19 to work at a church as an intern. Moved all the way from Virginia, all the way to Texas, just basically by myself and, and had a youth group I worked with, uh, with a youth pastor in Arlington, Texas. And um, I met a girl like in the first month of being in Texas. We started dating pretty, uh, um, pretty soon after that. And she was a freshman at Baylor, and I was living in Arlington, so we'd kind of commute, just, you know, hang out and whatnot on the weekends and stuff. And, um, and so, uh, actually, let me back up just a little bit, because before this happened, when I was a junior in high school, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was a mentor to me. He was a few years older than me. And he asked, we're driving somewhere one day, and he goes, he goes so tell me what, uh, 
what do you look for? What do you think you're going to look for in the kind of girl that you're going to end up marrying one day? I'm like a 17-year-old kid. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, hot, right? Like, that's just what, what your mind is. So I, I was like, well, okay, I'll list off these things. So I'm listing off this, this quali- qualification list, right? And, uh, and he said, the last thing I said was, well, you know, I plan on waiting until I get married to have sex, so I want to find someone that has done the same thing. And he kind of went, like, what? And I was like, well, yeah, that's pretty obvious, right? And he goes, but hang on. He goes, I understand what you're saying, but, but wait a second. What if you meet a girl who's got a past and she comes back to Christ or becomes a Christian? Then what? And I was kind of like, well, I mean, I probably wouldn't marry her. And he's like, all right, we need to talk, all right? And so we had this conversation, and he's sitting there going, like, that is the most arrogant, self-righteous thing you could have possibly. I'm like, How, what's wrong with that? You know, I'm, like, getting defensive going, like, what's wrong with that, that, that standard, you know? And, uh, and so that conversation just kind of sat with me for a while. I didn't, he didn't convince me at that point. But two years later, moved to Texas. I started dating this girl. Seemed like a really godly girl, awesome Christian girl. Um, we're dating pretty seriously at this point. And, I, and I'm 19. I, I, and when you're 19, you think to yourself, I could get married in two years. That, that'd be cool. And you're like, no, you're, you're a total idiot, right? Um, 21, you're still pretty much a teenager. You're not really ready yet. So, but in my, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, this could happen. This girl could be the one. And so I really thought this could be it. And a few months into that relationship, I really thought this could be the girl. One night, she sits me down and she says, I need to tell you some stuff. And she begins to kind of tell me, like, her past and that she had this boyfriend a couple years before that. And they were sexually involved. And um, as she just described her life two years before that, I just looked at her and thought, like, I, I, can't, I can't believe that. I, can't, I look at you now and think, you're this awesome, godly girl, and I, I can't see you as that. And, and I was, honestly, I was devastated. I was devastated. This sounds dumb now, I know, I realize that. But I was totally devastated. I thought... This was the girl. And so at this point, I feel like my heart is kind of connected to hers where I think she might be the one. So I'm like, I'm not going to break up with this girl because of this. But then I'm also kind of going, but i got to wrestle through now with giving her grace, and I'm not sure I can do that. And so over the course of a month or two, I felt like God was just wringing the sin out of my heart in that relationship. And we end up breaking up, not because of that, but because of other stuff. And She was a great godly girl. It was a godly relationship, a God-honoring relationship. But what I learned from that was that, is there a phone somewhere? Okay. All right, what I, all right, draw, draw it back in, draw it back in. What I learned from that was that God's grace is necessary for everyone. What I learned from that was, If I can't show her the same grace that Jesus showed her, then I am putting myself above Jesus. I am putting myself above God. I am saying that, yeah, Jesus, I know you showed her grace, but I'm not going to do that. I'm putting myself above Jesus. That's bad, right? And so God convicted me and showed me how, although I understood grace intellectually, I didn't really understand grace because I was not a person who would 
extend grace to people. And extending grace to your friends or even like maybe your parents or someone is fairly easy. But you get into a relationship with someone, a romantic relationship, that is the place where it is the most difficult thing to show someone grace. And that's where your real self comes out. And that's what I learned in that relationship. And so as my sin began to be exposed in this area, what I want you to know this morning is that if some of you guys in the room right now, you're going to live obediently for the most part. You're going to follow Jesus. You're going to follow the rules. You're going to go off to college one day. You're going to start dating someone seriously who also loves Jesus and is following Jesus. And when it starts to get serious, they're going to sit you down one night, and they're going to say, okay, we've, we're, we're pretty serious. Let me, let me tell you my past. And you're going to have to wrestle with this if you can show grace or not. I hope that you can. You, you have to decide, can I show this person grace? And here's the crazy part about this whole thing. Because even when I say that, it sounds arrogant, doesn't it? It sounds like, yes, I, I showed her grace. She was the sinner, and I was this vessel of grace that bestowed my grace upon her, right? Even me saying it sounds arrogant, but what God showed me was this. Watch this. A friend of mine pointed this out to me. You know who that friend was? It was Casey Burke. For, uh, Casey Burke showed me. He said to me, he goes, you know, you don't need to know. Casey's not over there, just in case you're looking. He's, he's up in the main building. The main building's that way, okay? Everyone's like, Casey? Casey's here? What? Where's Casey? Y'all have like ADD, like crazy, man, seriously. Okay, so, um, but he said to me this. He said, you know, your biggest struggle is not getting over the hurdle of her sin, but your biggest struggle is going to be seeing your sin as just as bad. Like, you've got to see yourself as just as lost as she was. Because until you see that, until you see your own sin in that light, like, you can't really extend grace because you're not realizing that you're on the same receiving end of grace that she is. You can't sit there and be like, yeah, I showed her grace. I I was gracious. I allowed her to be in a relationship with me after that, after that heinous sin that she committed, right? I mean, how foolish is that? You've you got to start to see your, your sin as the older son as just as bad, if not worse, because your sin is accompanied by blindness. She knew her sin. She was aware of it. She knew her struggles. Man, it's late. 12.07 already. Okay, just hang with me for a second. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul lists off a bunch of sins. Don't turn there, but just listen to this. And he says this phrase. He lists off a laundry list of sins, and he says, but that is what some of you were. Do you believe that? When someone else confesses to you their past and their sin, are you going to believe this passage? Are you going to believe that, okay, this is who she used to be. This is who he used to be. It's no longer who he is now. This is no longer his identity. This is no longer her identity. Sin is no longer a part of her in that way. She's with Christ now. He's with Christ now. That is their new identity. And so my sin in this area became 
a parent once again. Back when I was in high school, there was this uh, friend of mine. I would finished my junior year of high school. There was a friend of mine named uh, Ben Jackson, and um, he started dating a girl who had just graduated high school named Tammy, and she was a girl in our youth group, and um, real solid girl spiritually. She was um, one of those, like, sort of model citizen type youth group kids, and um, and so they start dating. And uh, a few months later, I hear from someone that uh, Tammy's pregnant. And so she had just finished high school. Ben had just finished his junior year, same class as me. So he and I were on the soccer team together, the basketball team together. We were friends. And uh, and I hear that she's pregnant. And I'm like, wow, whoa, okay. Um, we go from sitting in an English class together to, like, him being a dad. Uh, wow, okay, um, <laughs> Where do you go from there? And um, so next I hear that the parents are pressuring them to get married. And they plan on getting married. So we go from like last day of school, 17 years old, junior class, looking forward to being a senior, all the fun that comes with that, to Ben now has to reconcile with I'm going to be a dad and now a husband as a 17-year-old kid. And so... The weird thing was that the family planned this big wedding like it was a normal wedding, and it was the most awkward wedding I'd ever been to, as you might imagine. It, was a, it felt like a funeral. It felt like just everyone kind of trudged in like, congratulations, Ben and Tammy. It was just like really awkward. And, and I'm talking to Ben like by the punch bowl and the cake, and I'm like, so, uh, How's it going, man? Just, um, well, have a good life. Um, I guess you won't be coming back to school next semester. Um, well, okay, see ya. It was just really awkward, right? But something happened at that wedding that really kind of got to me, and it was this. There were just people coming out of the woodwork giving them gifts, giving them money, giving them, uh, somebody even got them a car, Okay. And it was a used car, but they got him a car. And I tell you what, I struggled with that because I was sitting there looking at this situation. And I was going, man, I had been working my fingers to the bone for a car. I've been saving my money. I've been working like crazy hours, saving my money for a car. And this, these two, he gets her pregnant, and then they get all this stuff. They get a car. And so this led to me being angry, believe it or not. I was, like, actually angry about the gifts they were getting from our church. And I called this friend of mine, the same one that called me out for being judgmental before. I called him, like, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this situation. And he's like, he's like dude, you're serious? Like, you're going to get angry about that? The church is showing them grace? And you're going to get angry and upset about them getting a car and getting money and stuff that they need to live as a couple? Are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, I am serious. I feel angry about that. He's like, you need to give them some of your own money. And I'm going, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And so once again, I didn't learn my lesson until I got to college. And God, I felt like, just wrung this judgmental attitude out of me. And, and what I want to say this morning as we kind of figure out how to apply this, does God's grace ever make you angry? Does God's grace, when you see someone else show someone else grace? Does it make you angry? Do you think to yourself, they don't deserve that? Well, the definition of grace is that you don't deserve it. 
But when God shows someone grace, does it make you angry? If, if that's you, you might be like the older son. And I want to talk to us very bluntly this morning. There are a lot of older son types in this room. I include myself in this. And if you're someone who's more like the younger son, you kind of live more rebelliously typically, I want to apologize for us. I want to apologize for those of us that act more like the older son, the judgmental, the self-righteous, the arrogant, the prideful. I want to apologize for us. If we've ever made you feel like that you're not welcome here or that you don't belong here, I want to apologize for us. And I also want to get very specific this morning about a few things. Um, And please hear me out on this because I'm going to actually encourage you guys to have your parents listen to this podcast later on in the week. I want to make sure I'm not misquoted this morning, okay? But let me tell you something I've seen in this youth group especially that can lead to the older son mindset, and it's this. It's private school and homeschool, okay? I am not for a minute saying those things are bad. I am not saying the kind of school that you go to should be this or this or this. I'm simply saying that Christian school or private school and homeschool can very often lead to the older brother mindset. And here's how it happens. Because I was that kid. I went to a Christian school all the way through, and I became like the older son. Because here's what I'm trying to tell you, is that if your school experience, whether it's teachers or parents or coaches, if they say things to you like, yeah, we're not like those other schools. We're not like the world. Or you're, you're better than those kids. You're not like those kids, those public school kids, right? If, if that is being communicated to you directly or indirectly, they're just flat out wrong to say that. And when they say things like, the world is out there, and we have our little safe Christian environment here, when they say things like that, they are lying because the world is in the Christian school too, Okay? I went to Christian school, I know this to be true firsthand, right? So when they say things like, that's the world out there, and in here it's safe in the Christian school, that's just flat out wrong. And what it does is it creates the older son mindset in the kids that attend those environments, okay? And so without Christ, the world is in all of us. Sin is in all of us. And if you think for a minute the kind of school that you go to means that that's not the case, you're just flat out wrong, okay? And, and once again, I'm not saying that Christian and homeschool are evil. I'm just saying that you're evil, okay? That's what I'm trying to communicate to you, okay? Without Christ, without Christ, you're evil, okay? And um, now if you think for a second, if you go to public school, I'm letting you off the hook. I'm not, okay? So here we go. Um, Some of the worst older brother types go to public school, all right? They come home and say things like, you're not going to believe what I saw at school today. Or can you believe what those people do? Those people over there? Can you believe how bad they are? Like, here's how you see yourself. If If you're the older brother mindset and you go to public school, you see yourself as those people. They're like varsity sinners, and you're like a JVB team sinner. That's how you see yourself. You're like, they're really good at sin. I'm just kind of a JV B-team bench warmer center over here, and uh, I'm not as bad as they are over there. 
Here's a question I want to ask you this morning. Why does it surprise us so much when people sin? Why should it surprise us? If we're Christians, why should it surprise us when someone else sins? When people who aren't even Christians sin, why should that surprise us? Why do we see the world as like, we're good because we're Christians, they're bad because they're not? The reality is all of us are, right? All of us are. Sin should not surprise us. In fact, if you look at verse 32 of this passage, the last verse, go to the last uh, slide here, verse 32. You still awake at the back there? There we go. I guess not. Aisley, can you do verse 32? Last slide. There we go. All right, he says, uh, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Verse 32 shows us that there should be no such thing as a prideful Christian, okay? He says that this person was, what? What's the word? Dead, but now they're alive again. They were lost, but now they're found, okay? There should be no grounds for boasting as a Christian. Being a prideful Christian would be like if someone is, is drowning at sea, they, they've, they've sucked in all this water into their lungs, and they, they're totally dead, and someone pulls them out of the water, breathes life into them, and then they get up off the ground, and they're like, yeah, that's right. Like as if they're arrogant and cocky about them being saved from death, Okay? Or if someone's like totally lost in the mountains somewhere, can't find their way, a helicopter comes and rescues them, and they're like, yeah, what now? Right? And they're arrogant and cocky about their rescue. This is what it is like to be a prideful Christian. No one should be a prideful Christian. We should be extinct. Because the gospel is that Jesus, you were completely dead, separated from God because of your sin, and he breathed new life into you. You were lost and he found you. That is the gospel. And what I want to do, if you're someone that is like the older brother, I want to close with this one passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And here's what it says. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. If you are someone who's like the older brother, like I was and and still am, we've got to be reminded of who you are without Christ. This is you without Christ. If you were saved at the age of four, five, six, whatever it is, I don't care what age it was, you've got to understand this is who you are without Christ. You were dead spiritually, lost, totally gone. And you're like, but I was, I was four. I wasn't smoking marijuana. I wasn't doing crazy things, right? Doesn't matter. Spiritually, you were totally gone, totally lost without Christ. And what I want you to understand this morning is that the end of the story in Luke 15, the father, I want you to get this, the father stands outside and he invites even the older son who is self-righteous, prideful, and arrogant. He invites him into the party. 
And that's the exact same thing. The same grace he extends to the younger son is the same grace he extends to the older son. And this is the part of the story that blows me away. Because for over 20 years, I lived thinking that I deserved, somehow deserved Christ's grace and his love. That I'd somehow earned it. And even after all of that prideful arrogance, self-righteousness, and hypocrisy, he still stands outside and says, come in. Come into the party. You're still welcome here. He has the right to slam the door in my face. He's got the right to slam the door in your face if you're like the older son. But he stands outside and he says, come in. Come into the party. And so what I want you to do, if this is you this morning, we're going to skip our last question. It's too way too late right now. But if this is you, I want you to go home today. I want you to get on your knees and say, God, I never realized how sinful I am without your grace. I never realized how sinful I am without you. Turn to Christ and repent. Even as the older son, you've got to turn to him in repentance, repentance of your self-righteousness and pride. I'm going to pray for you. God, thanks so much for uh, your grace and how um, amazing it is. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and how it speaks to us, how it convicts us and, and shapes us, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys are dismissed. We are having a G Group leader meeting just after this. If you're a G Group leader, stay after. Sorry I went so late. I apologize.